Church family, I'm going to invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, me in verses 26 through 31 today, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and as you find that, if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the passage that we are going to study today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. The Word of God says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Church, this is the word of God for us today. You may be seated. The title of our message today is the same as our title last week, Humanity, God's Image Bears. It's part two of our message from last week. Last week we began with a little game or a challenge, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, I call it, what do, you, what do the following things have in common? That was the name of our little game. If you'll recall, I gave you, uh, I gave you some, some words. I said murder, pets, gossip, and handicap parking. And we said, what do those seemingly unrelated things have in common? Well, they have in common that how we view those things are impacted by whether or not we believe and understand that humans are made in the image of God. I want to give you another list. I want to play that game again today. All right, you ready? Let me give you another list. What do the following things have in common? Gardening, diapers, litter, and seeing eye dogs. That's a pretty random list of things, right? Pretty random. Well, church, the answer is the same as last week. Our understanding of those seemingly unrelated things is very much dependent upon whether or not we believe and understand that human beings are made in the image of God. It really is. And, and, and I don't know if I've ever been as, I know I've never been as aware of this as I have in studying through this passage and preparing to preach and studying with you how much of everyday life comes back to the fact that we are created in the image of God. And of course, this truth is founded upon the truth that God is the creator of all. We've learned and studied that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you fail to begin with that truth, then the other foundational truths, such as the fact that we are made in the image of God, that that they all begin to crumble. And these truths are foundational, not just for a sermon or a church service, but for the flourishing of human society and for the salvation of that all humans need. Now, unfortunately, our society has sought to remove God from the equation when it comes to where we came from. But church, I want you to know this. As soon as we begin 
to explain where we came from without God, then we begin to strip away every bit of value and purpose that we have as human beings. And yet the biblical worldview does the opposite. The biblical worldview does the opposite. Instead of stripping us of value and purpose, it infuses humanity with value and purpose. God's creation of humanity in His image sets humanity apart from the rest of creation. We have a privileged position. And we said last week that we could see this privileged position in two categories. We have a privileged value and we have a privileged purpose. Last week we looked at the privileged value that we have as image bearers of God. And today I want us to look at the privileged purpose that we have as image bearers of God. Church, we must not only base our value in life upon the truth that we are made in the image of God, but we also must base our purpose in life upon the truth that we are made in the image of God. We must base our purpose in life upon the truth that we are made in the image of God. As we examine Genesis 1 and God's creation of man in His image, we see that being made in the image of God is very much connected with our purpose in life. I want to share with you two statements today regarding our purpose as humans made in the image of God that we learn from this passage in Genesis. Before I do that, though, I want to give a quick overview of what we mean and perhaps what we don't mean when we say made in the image of God. Just kind of a a definition of that. Now, some would say, very few, but some would say that being made in the image of God means we bear a physical resemblance to God. Perhaps you read that and go, does that mean we look like God? I would say no. That interpretation contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture elsewhere that God is spirit. He does not have a physical body, so being made in the image of God does not mean that we physically look like God. Another possibility would be that being made in the image of God means we share many qualities with God. For instance, reason and personality and choice and self-consciousness and intelligence and that's not a bad interpretation. In fact, I think there's a lot to, to say for that because these characteristics do distinguish us from the rest of creation. We have these certain qualities that we do share with God that the rest of creation does not. But it is difficult from this passage, from this text, to see that that is exactly what is meant in the context. Another idea is that being made in the image of God means that we have the capacity to relate to God, that we can have a relationship with God. And I think there's a lot to... To, to, of support to go for this, um, uh, this explanation of being made in the image of God. Um, even textually, right here, we see that in verse 28, God speaks directly to humans. He said to them. And then in chapters 2 and chapter 3 and throughout all the rest of Scripture, we see that God relates to humanity in a very different way, in a unique way than the way that He relates to the rest of creation. Let me give you a fourth, a fourth view, and I think... I think this one is a great, um, a great possibility. One more op- option is that being made in the image of God refers to our function or our purpose as stewards or managers of God's creation. Twice in this passage, in the same context that we learn that we are made in the image of God, we see that humans are to have dominion over His creation. To be made in the image of God means that God has created us to serve a very special function as rulers over His creation in a similar way to the way that He rules over creation. We'll talk about this more later in, in the sermon. But we serve as His image bearers, we serve as His representatives representing His rule 
over creation. Of course, we are not sovereign. He is. We serve under His supreme authority. But I think this last view is probably contextually the best definition of what it means to be made in the image of God and then kind of combine that with number two and number three that I gave you. Really all of those except for the fact that, or the, the, the thought that we look actually physically like God are um, probably a combination of all of that is what it means to be made in the image of God. But what is very clear, what is very clear in this passage is that as humans made in the image of God, we have a privileged value and a privileged purpose. So let's talk about the purpose for a few minutes today. The first truth I want to share with you regarding our privileged purpose is this. Humans are to rule over the earth as image bearers. Humans are to rule over the earth as image bearers. Two times in this passage we are told that humanity has been given dominion over the earth. We have been given dominion over the earth. We read in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And then in verse 27, we learn that God created humans in his own image, male and female. He created them in his own image. We talked about that last week. And then verse 28, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has clearly given us some things to do with our lives, and one of those things is to have dominion, to rule over the earth. And this is a a purpose for all of humanity. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? I think we need to understand the purpose we are given in the context of God creating us in His image. We bear God's image by serving as His representatives and ruling over creations as stewards under His control. I'll say that one more time. We bear God's image by serving as His representatives and ruling over creation as stewards under His control. We'll talk about some of those words in just a moment. I want you to notice uh, real quick here the, the limitation and the extensiveness of our dominion. The limitation of our dominion and the extensiveness of our dominion. Let's start with extensiveness. Our dominion extends over all the earth. Notice what he says there. We are to have dominion over all the earth. And yet, we are limited in our dominion. We are limited by the fact that we are not God, but rather rule under God's authority. We rule as image bearers of God. We don't rule as God, which means our rule is not ultimate. Our dominion is not supreme. We are not the final authority over creation. God is. Even the fact that He has given us this dominion speaks to the reality that we are not supreme. We had to have it given to us. Right? We would not have dominion over creation if He didn't give it to us. It was His to give, and it's not ours. And as the rest of Scripture testifies, He's still the owner of it all. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the psalmist writes. And so we rule over creation under His supreme rule, which means we must give an answer to Him as to how we rule over His creation. In other words, we are like managers or stewards of the earth. I don't know if you use the word steward very often. We probably don't use it a whole lot, but I think it's a great word to help us understand what it means 
for us to have dominion, to be rulers over God's creation. A steward is someone entrusted with the care of the owner's belongings to manage on his or her behalf until the owner returns. The steward is not the owner. The steward is the manager or the caretaker. For instance, if I'm the steward of your finances, then I should keep track of your money and invest your money so that it, in, so that it increases for your benefit. If I'm the steward of your garden, then I should tend to your garden so that it produces a good crop for you. I'm a manager, a caretaker. Church, our purpose as image bearers of God is to rule over His creation in such a way that He, the owner, is honored. Which means we take creation and we use creation to do what He created creation to do. And ultimately, that is the glory of God. And more specifically, God has given us creation. He has created all of creation to be used for human flourishing. To be used for human flourishing. For instance... It is right for us, it is good for us to take a plot of land and till the ground and plant seeds and work to make that ground produce useful products for us as humans. Whether that's, that's cotton to give us, give us clothing or, or, or food and plants and, and whatever we want to grow in our gardens and apparently it's garden season if you drove by Lowe's any time over the past weekend, um, it was packed. And so it's, it's, time, it's time to plant those gardens. It's good for us to do those things. Notice verse 29. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with, its, with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Church, God is pleased when we rule over the earth in such a way that it produces things for us. It produces food for us to eat. After the flood, God told humans that they could eat animals and birds and fish. So God is pleased when we manage animals in such a way that they provide an ongoing source of food for people. Well, we have a question here. Because I'm not a farmer. I have grown a few things um, in, in, in my day, but, but I'm no farmer. Uh, I was even telling someone the other day I tried to grow carrots, and apparently I didn't have the right soil for carrots because they were, they were all about this big. If you can see that they weren't... They, and I'm going to tell you, it takes a lot of something that big to fill you up, uh, make a meal. And so I, I stopped trying to grow carrots. But, but does this mean that only farmers are serving out their purpose of subduing and ruling the earth? Well, not at all. Not at all. Think about it. Think about it. The person who invents the tools to plant and harvest the seed. The person who researches ways to keep the ground fertile without wearing it out. The person who sells the, the crop in the grocery store after it's been grown and harvested. The person who keeps track of the farm tool manufacturer's money, the farmer's money, and the grocery store's money. The, the person who teaches manufacturing and agriculture and food safety and store management and finance. The person who cleans the store. The person who builds transportation mechanisms to get the tractors to the farmers and the food to the stores and the people to the stores to buy the food. The IT person who manages the computer systems which help the farm machinery and the cash registers work and the banks work. And the electricians and the electrical engineers who ensure all of these people and places and tools and systems have power. And the plumber who ensures all of those places have the good water they need flowing in and the, we'll just say the bad water they don't want uh, anymore flowing out. The sanitation workers who help get rid of the garbage. And let's not forget about the person at home who can take those products and cook delicious meals and sew good clothing and spend money wisely on these products. And then the medical workers who take care of all these people when they get sick or injured. 
and the dog trainer who trains a dog to take down the crooks who want to steal the good products that we produce, that God's creation produces, or to sniff out the drugs, or to lead the blind person to the store to buy the products and then back home safely. And the list could just keep going on and on and on. Do you get the point? you see the point here? God has given us dominion over all creation, and there are many Many, many ways that we participate as men and women in exercising dominion over God's creation. When you do your work, whether you're a teacher or a plumber or a doctor or a banker or a homemaker, whether you're a safety inspector or a farmer, an engineer, a vet, a cashier or a waitress or a business owner, or a student learning to do one or more than one of these things, you are living out your privileged purpose of ruling over creation. You see what God's Word does? It infuses sometimes seemingly mundane tasks with the purpose that we are living for the glory of God as we do those things well and we do those things with integrity. We do those things with a, with a right and proper work ethic. Now in a moment we're going to talk about the fact that God wants humans to multiply and fill the earth. Another way to say that is that He is for He is pro-human flourishing. He wants humanity to flourish. And this impacts our understanding of what it means to have dominion over the earth. For instance, if you are making a product, but in the process you are dumping chemicals into a river which is destroying all the fish which people in that town are depending upon for food, then you're not acting as a good steward of God's creation because you're, even though you're producing a product, at the same time you're hindering human flourishing. And so we would say that in that instance, you're not bearing God's image well. If you use products but then litter the ground with the trash, with what's left over, you're not helping the earth to be a safe and healthy place for humans and animals to live, which means you are not stewarding God's creation well, which means you're not living properly as an image bearer of God. If you start a fire for the purpose of a controlled burn, which research has proven can actually help prevent forest fires, then I would say you're stewarding God's creation well. You are promoting human flourishing. However, if you carelessly start an unplanned forest fire, then you're not stewarding God's creation well. And there's so many examples we could give. Again, the list could go on and on. Now, no doubt some issues that we face in our world are, are difficult to navigate as far as when we have crossed the line from using creation to abusing creation. We need God's wisdom daily to help us know. But we as Christians operating from a Christian worldview at the very least must stay away from the two extremes. Extreme number one of worshiping the ground that we walk on and replacing God with it. And the other extreme of carelessly destroying the ground that we walk on. The same could be said about the waters we swim in, the air we breathe, and the creatures that fill the earth. Church, God has given humans creation to use for human flourishing. That means we must cut down trees, and it means we must plant trees. It means we must build machinery at the same time invent ways to limit pollution. We must use natural resources, and at the same time, Figure out ways to conserve natural resources. We must not abuse animals, but we can use them for human flourishing, such as training them to perform certain tasks or even using them for food. I think a great example of the balance of using but not abusing creation is seen in the Old Testament command, which talks about an ox. And it says this, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading 
out the grain. Think about that for a moment. What is God doing there? He is telling the people of Israel to use but not abuse creation. In other words, it's not wrong to hook up the ox to plow and make it work. I think God designed it to do that. And at the same time, you shouldn't prevent it from eating. And you could just go out from that. You should take care of that ox so that it can do the work that it's supposed to do. Use it, but don't abuse it. Maybe we could summarize it this way. Take care of creation as you use creation to serve the flourishing of humanity. We want to take care of creation as we use creation to serve the purpose of the flourishing of humanity. And God intends, church, for humanity to flourish. This leads us to our second truth today. second truth is this. Humans are to fill the earth with image bearers. Humans are to fill the earth with image bearers. The other directive given to humans is found at the beginning of verse 28. We kind of skipped it. You see, he mentions dominion twice, and so we looked at both of those, and now we'll kind of skip back to the beginning of verse 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God tells humanity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I want us to first think about this from a very basic level, and then we will think about it a little more deeply. Now, it doesn't take a lot of brain power to get the gist of what God is saying here. He wants humans to reproduce. He wants humans to make more humans, and those humans to make more humans, and for the earth to be filled with humans. Now, saying that humans should multiply may not sound like that controversial of a statement in our society, but actually, it is. It is. Last week I mentioned that if you listen to some people talk about the natural world, it's pretty easy to see that they view humans as a plight on the planet. If you listen closely, they are advocating for humans to stop reproducing, or at least they are arguing that humans should reproduce less in order to save the planet. I read one article a while back, and it made me pretty angry. I read an article a while back which implied... And it came very close to saying it verbatim, but at least it implied that people who have children, especially people who have multiple children, are the problem with our world, are the problem with our planet today. They argue that the way to fix global warming and other environmental issues was to stop reproducing. Now, that's definitely not a person I'm going to call up to babysit my kids. I'm just going to tell you that right now. First, that's anti-common sense. It's anti-common sense. If you want the planet to be preserved so that people can enjoy it, uh, newsflash, there's got to be people on the planet to be able to enjoy it, right? So just it just doesn't make sense from a common sense standpoint. But it's worse than just being anti-common sense. Church, that attitude, that worldview is completely anti-God. God is pro-human which means he is pro-human reproduction, which means he is pro-children. Listen to God's word in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 and 4. Behold, God says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
God absolutely wants us to take care of His creation, but He never tells us to take care of His creation by stopping human reproduction and flourishing. And so if God is pro-children, then it makes sense then that the secularizing of our society, that is the pushing out of our society of God and things that have to do with God, would then result in a disdain for having children. Let me warn you, especially you who are younger and are starting families or those of you who have a desire to start a family sometime in the future, many in our society will look down on you for having children, especially even if you have multiple children. But don't let society dictate your family planning, if I could put it that way, especially a society which would rather fill garbage cans with aborted children and call it reproductive health than fill their quivers with children like God's Word says. So be careful who you listen to. But protecting our planet is not the only reason our society gives for not having children. Not only does our society say children are a burden on the planet, but our society also says that children are a burden on the wallet or the purse, however you carry your money around. These days it could just be your phone, right? Just like I don't think it's coincidence that the more society blurs the line of distinction between humans and the rest of creation, the less children they have, I don't think it's coincidence that the more materialistic a society becomes, the less children they have. In fact, even secular, uh, non-Christian research says as much that with with the increase of wealth in a society, the lower the birth rate becomes. Why? Because the more we have of stuff, the more we want it, and it becomes our God. Church, if the planet is becoming your God, children will be less of a priority for you. And if your bank account is becoming your God, children will be less of a priority for you. One recent study, I find this fascinating, one recent study found a correlation between the size of car seats and the number of children couples have. If you have children right now, you you, you know what I'm talking about probably. You say, what in the world does a car seat have to do with how many children couples have? Well, if you've looked at a car seat recently, they've grown ginormous. They're, they're, they're huge. They take up a lot of space. One car seat does. Which means if you need multiple car seats for your kids, then you need lots of room in your vehicle, which means you might have to buy a bigger vehicle, which costs more money than a smaller vehicle, and costs more to drive than a smaller vehicle. And a bigger vehicle is just one of the many expenses which come with kids. For instance, I almost had to replace our bathroom floor one day this week because one of my precious children left the water running with the sink drain plugged and walked out of the room. And I'll let you picture the rest of that story. Uh, Trust me, if money is your God, you don't want to have kids. And I'm just in the beginning stages of raising kids. Some of y'all who have them that are older than me say, just wait, just wait, just wait. But by God's grace, money, nor the planet, nor anything other than God Almighty will be our God and thus sinfully, sinfully prevent us from following God's leading and having children. I want to speak to married men, especially in the stage of life of having children and young men who may one day be married. I want to say something that's definitely countercultural. I believe God is more pleased when he sees you, men, changing a dirty diaper in the middle of the night than when he sees you with a bigger boat 
because you chose money over having kids. Or when he sees you with bigger muscles because you chose going to the gym over filling your quiver with children and getting a dad bod in return. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves. I just want to push back on the way that our society is heading and what our society says about children. But ladies, I'm not going to leave you out of challenging you. Because I could say the same for ladies who are tempted to buy into the lie of this age that having a career somehow makes you more valuable than having children. I didn't say it's wrong for you to have a career. I'm just going off of even recent research that even I was just reading last night. Not Christian research, not somebody who's trying to come at it from a Christian perspective, just people that are trying to analyze our society. They're saying a decrease, and a drastic decrease. We're not even replacing ourselves anymore. Drastic decrease in birth rate has followed, has correlated right along with an increase in this push in our society that says that a woman is only valuable if she can get a really high-paying job and have this really long career in that high-paying job. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's not where your value comes from. We talked about our value last week, so I'm not going to get back into that. I just want us to have God's perspective when it comes to children. Now, listen very carefully. I know a lot of questions are probably rolling through your mind right now. Nowhere does the Bible say how many kids you have to have in order to have played your role in multiplying and filling the earth. And my point is not to tell you that you need to have more kids or that you should have had more kids or make you feel guilty about that. that that's between you, your spouse, the Lord. That, I, there's no chapter or verse I can turn to that says, uh, gives us the answer to that. Certainly, a lot, of, a lot of factors go into how many children we have and if we can have children. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. My point is simply this, that we would view human reproduction from God's perspective. It's good. It is not bad. It's not a plight on our planet. Okay? It's not the way we save planet Earth. It's by hating children. And regardless of how many or few children you have, you should always, regardless of what stage of life you're in or your situation, should always look with joy upon children, not with scorn, and celebrate the multiplication of humanity, not lament it. Now, of course, I've got to also add, there's lots of, lots of things that go along with this. I also have to add this, that there is a right way and a wrong way to multiply. Humans are only to multiply within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, which God lays out at the end of Genesis chapter 2. And while we celebrate all children, regardless of the circumstances of their birth over which those children had no control, we never celebrate sin, and we work to prevent multiplication outside God's original design. And yet, even as I speak about celebrating children... I know that there are many who are holding back feelings of sorrow or anger as we think about children and having children and whether or not to have children and how many to have and all of those questions. Some of you would have children or would have more children than you have now were it not for miscarriages, fertility difficulties, the lack of a spouse, 
There are other things we could list. So I want to I try to help answer a question for us. And I think as we answer this, we're going to see a really incredible, awesome bridge to the good news of Jesus Christ. Is the single person or the couple who are unable to have children condemned to an unfulfilled life where they're unable to live out this divinely given purpose for humanity? Are they unable, are you unable to be genuine image bearers of God if if you can't have children? What about the couples who are beyond the age of having kids? Does this mean even though maybe you've had kids in the past that now you're too old to continue living with purpose as an image bearer of God as it relates to multiplying and filling the earth? I want us to think now a little more deeply about this command to multiply and fill the earth. If you read carefully, you will notice that multiplying and filling the earth is not a unique command given to humans. Maybe you've read and you've been studying and you go, Zach, you're making this out like this is part of being made in the image of God, but we're not the only ones in creation that are supposed to multiply and fill the earth. I know, I know. Back in verse 22, God told the sea creatures and the birds to be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. God wants all creatures to multiply. He created all creatures so that they could multiply. The other day, one of my daughters was doing her schoolwork and she said, Dad, how do ferns reproduce? To which I gave the best answer I knew. I have no idea. Go read your lesson again and see if it tells you. I don't know how ferns reproduce. I'm no clue, but apparently they do, and that's God's design. Listen, God wants all creation to reproduce, to multiply, but I want you to think about it. If humans are not unique in being able to multiply, and if humans are not unique in being told by God to multiply, is there anything special about human multiplication? I would argue yes, there is. Here's what makes multiplication for humanity a privileged purpose. When humans multiply, they are multiplying image bearers of God. And when humans fill the earth, we are filling the earth with image bearers of God. Nothing else in creation can do that. The ferns can reproduce all they want, but they're not reproducing image bearers of God. And neither are the fish in the sea or the birds in the skies and all the creatures that walk upon the land. Church, we as humans have the unique privilege of being image bearers of God who worship God and who multiply worshipers of God who bear His image. Now, here's where we insert a problem into it. And that problem is sin. You read ahead to Genesis chapter 3, things don't stay the way that they did in the beginning. Sin enters the world Humanity is cursed. Even something like giving birth to children becomes a much more painful process. And all sorts of other things enter in. Just think about that moment in the garden for a moment. The serpent coming to Adam and Eve. And in that moment when they were supposed to fulfill their purpose of having dominion over creation, they let creation have dominion over them. They strayed from that purpose. 
And as a result, the purpose of multiplying and bearing children comes with all sorts of difficulties that we face today. There's a problem with our world. And ever since that day, church, the image of God in humanity has been marred by sin. And so instead of multiplying image bearers who worship God, you know what happens when we as sinful humans multiply? We multiply image bearers of God who don't worship God. Scripture says that we inherit a sin nature from Adam, and Adam all die. And so when we multiply, we are filling the earth with humans made in the image of God who don't worship God, but reject God as their creator. And yet God's command to multiply continues after the fall. It continues. His command continues even after sin enters the world. This can only mean one thing, that God had a plan for redeeming fallen mankind and restoring His image bearers to their former glory. And I want you to know that God did have a plan. That plan centers upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who left the glories of heaven to come to earth to restore fallen humanity through His death and resurrection. And church, where we fail to fulfill our purpose... Jesus succeeded in fulfilling His purpose. And praise God, His purpose was to seek and to save broken image bearers of God. Image bearers who had lost their way. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from our sin, to make us new people who worship God as His image bearers. And He rose from the dead, securing eternal life for all who believe in Him. And now we have this privileged purpose as His image bearers to go and make disciples of all nations. To go to the world and multiply redeemed image bearers of God. To go to the world with the power of the gospel by which the world will be filled with God's image bearers, not rejecting Him, but worshiping Him as people from every nation, language, and tribe one day in the new heavens and earth enjoy the completion of the transformation that Paul proclaimed to the church at Corinth when he said this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image From one degree of glory to another. What image is that that we are being transformed into? Church, it is the image of Jesus. The perfect God-man who redeems fallen image bearers of God. The perfect God-man who was the true fulfillment of the words of Psalm chapter 8. Which says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, You have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Friends, if you're not a worshiper of God today because you're lost in your sin, I want you to know that you can live out your divine purpose, your privileged purpose in this life as an image bearer of God if you will surrender your life to this Jesus who fulfilled that Psalm chapter 8 perfectly. You must turn from your sin and turn to Jesus to save you. Believe in Him. Believe in this perfect man who rules over all creation perfectly. 
The perfect Son of God who made a way for true image bearers of God to be multiplied on this earth. If you need some more help understanding what it means to believe in Jesus for salvation, listen, I'll be glad to talk to you in just a few minutes after this service is over. Now some of you may say, Zach, I, I believe the Gospel message. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've been saved from my sin, but where's the bridge here? Like, what in the world does this have to do with having children or not being able to have children? How does this truth help the single person or the infertile couple enjoy participating in the purpose of multiplication? Church, because human beings have this unique privilege of multiplying image bearers of God, and because God has made a way through Jesus for broken image bearers to be restored so that they represent Him well in this world, I believe that any time we participate in making disciples of Jesus, we are participating in filling the earth with image bearers of God. Image bearers who have been redeemed and restored and now worship the God whose image they bear. I don't think this is an excuse not to physically multiply if you are married and have the ability to do so. However, I do think there are other ways we can participate in this privileged purpose outside of physical reproduction. When you share the gospel with someone, you are helping fill the earth with redeemed image bearers. When you teach someone, whether in a one-on-one conversation or in a, in a, in a classroom of children or adults, whether you, whenever you teach someone the truths of Scripture, you are helping fill the earth with redeemed image bearers of God. When you foster a child or adopt a child and teach him or her the ways of the Lord, you are helping fill the earth with redeemed image bearers of God. When you teach your grandkids or someone else's grandkids or someone else's kids the message of Jesus, you are helping fill the earth with redeemed image bearers of God, which means everyone, everyone, regardless of their marital status or reproductive status, can participate in filling the earth with image bearers of God who bear God's image well as we rule over His creation for the glory of the One who owns and rules it all. And if God does bless you with children of your own, it is not just enough to give birth to them and to raise them to be good citizens. But because we give birth to fallen image bearers, parents, hear me, we must as parents be devoted to the task of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as Scripture says, teaching them every opportunity we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we're not just filling the earth with fallen image bearers, but we are filling the earth with restored and redeemed image bearers as much as it is in our power to do so. We are made in the image of God, church. We have a privileged value and a privileged purpose. And we have a Savior. And we have a Lord who redeems us in such a way that we can, even as fallen creation, uh, living in a fallen creation, we can live out this value and purpose in our lives, both now and forevermore. I'm so thankful for our God. I'm so, so thankful for Jesus. I pray that you are today. May we live out this privileged purpose for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, It matters. It matters, God, 
whether or not we read and study and believe and apply your word to our lives. God, your word drastically impacts and even changes our perspective on ourselves, on life, on the world in which we live. And so, Father, my prayer for us today is that we would hold firm to the truths of your word. Father, that we would see what a privilege it is to live as your image bears with a purpose. God, you have given us a purpose in this life. And even though, Father, sin came in and marred that purpose and made it more difficult to live out that purpose, you came into this world, entering in through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, to restore us so that we can live purposeful lives where You are honored and You are glorified through us as Your people. So Father, in these next few minutes, as we lift our voices in song, God, I pray that You would be honored, that You would be glorified, and that as we sing, You would work the truth of Your Scripture into our hearts and help us as individuals to see how it applies to us in our own unique situations. But Father, we most of all just want to say thank You for Jesus who died and rose from the dead. Father, may we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Father, through the extraordinary moments of life and through the seemingly mundane moments of life. God, because You have infused our lives with a holy and divine purpose. May we walk in that purpose each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.